Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Hi, welcome to Mindspace. This is Jeff Boucher. I'm here with Maya St. Clair. And uh, this is a show about creative conversations and conversations about creativity. And today our guest is Chris Strompolis, who is a super fan, I would say, a super fan of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones, and a guy who's connected with that passion in a really, really interesting way. So You'll find out more about that in our conversation coming right up. You know, Chris, uh, I think all of us feel like we grew up with Raiders of the Lost Ark, but you really did uh, (laughs) in in a very dramatic way and a very charming way. Um, When did you guys start your project? How old were you when you started that project? So really it started kind of when I went to go see Raiders for the first time in the theater, I was, uh, you know, I was a kid, I think I was 10 years old and, um, you know, went to the theater like every other continuing Star Wars nerd and, and sure. you know, with Harrison and Han Solo and that Lucasfilm sort of machine. And, and, uh, and that's, you know, I saw it in the theater and I, it just was a whole other experience for me. And um, I just, it really kind of was born out of a need to cosplay if anything you know I mean I didn't even know if that was what I really you know had wanted you know but I wanted to inhabit that world so badly after I saw Raiders that I thought you know what I'm I'm gonna like recreate this world for myself so I can play in it you know and um and that's how it kind of all started and uh, it was mostly in my head for the first probably half a year and and then I uh started to pull friends in and, and, um, you know, share the insanity. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And then way before cosplay was even a term, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's interesting that those, if, if George Lucas accomplished anything with star Wars and, and with, uh, Raise the Lost Ark, which of course was directed by Steven Spielberg, but written by George, uh, co-written by George. Um, it, it's the, the idea of, uh, the immersion, you know, the, you know, you talked about wanting to live in that world. And I mean, certainly with Star Wars, with all the action figures and toys and stuff, we all kind of went into that world and, and felt like uh, we were part of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of his great gifts is figuring out how to do that. Um, with Raiders, though, I mean, that movie is so satisfying. Uh, and, uh, you know, people forget that it was nominated for Best Picture, uh, you know, that it was nominated for the Oscar. Uh, it did not win, of course, but I think it should have. But... Um, it's uh, uniquely one of Spielberg's unique gifts is the is the way that young people are portrayed in his movies and in the way that young people react to his movies. I think. Sure. Um, did you encounter along the along 
the, this adventure for you. Uh, did you encounter other people that were doing similar things? Did you ever run into people that were doing? Not at all. No, yeah. I mean, this is this is the, the ninth, early 1980s. Yeah. Uh, I'm in Mississippi, um, right. right? So, you know, there wasn't the, the, the onslaught uh, of uh, sci-fi conventions. Um, you know, uh, we were still all dealing with, uh, you know, computers where the floppy drives were like, this um sure. you know internet didn't exist uh analog phones you know so so there was a there was very much of a still that wonderful 80s analog disconnect you know we were in our own vacuum and yeah. so you know the backyard was as expansive as it got and and so the the people that we ended up meeting um who were into it as, as much as we were, were people that we simply asked to be part of it, you know, and, sure. and had seen Raiders and were, and loved that world, um, or just thought we were downright insane. And we're like, <laughs> you know, sure, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be part of this and, and we'll, we'll dive in. But, but no, um, as the story has grown over the years and as um, the definition and culture of fandom has expanded and we've all kind of come into that into that arena uh, of yeah. better understanding that, you know, here we are all sort of um, kindred spirits, you know? And so, yeah. so that, that connectedness has, has uh, fallen more into places. I've gotten older with traveling and like, oh man, we were in our backyard with a Betamax camera. And, you know, I mean, even down to, we met a, a guy in, um, in Connecticut uh, one time uh, who had uh, encased either his brother or his roommate's head in plaster, you know, and he almost died. And, you know, that was like, oh man, we did the same thing, you know? And, and you know, just, I think, I think the, myth the, the mythological resonance of, of Raiders and Indiana Jones and that hero and what Harrison brought to it and Spielberg and the writing and casting script and everything, it was just lightning in a bottle. And I think it, it imprinted itself so heavily on our generation. So, so yeah, I, I've met those people um, as I've, as I've toured and gotten older and, and our movie has gotten into the hands of everybody, but certainly not when I was a kid. Sure, that's really fascinating. And one of the things too, uh, as you were saying that, it makes me think about Indiana Jones, one of the, the um, it's not entirely unique, but one of the, uh, the attributes that he has that makes him so uh, memorable and enjoyable is that he isn't Superman or he isn't, uh, you know, uh, a mutant he isn't he's just a guy you know and he yep. gets his ass kicked a lot and he loses and other than taking a trip in a refrigerator once other than that uh he's he's pretty much uh, a, an everyday guy yeah i i think that was probably part of the magic right the accessibility of that hero and you know we had seen our heroes in that formation from that world in star wars but you know it's in a galaxy far far away and then there was a you know, sort of a post-futurism there that made it kind of earthy and a bit tangible. You know, yeah. Raiders was, whoa, there's Nazis. And it actually took place in a time that isn't so far away. And, you know, when Indy gets hit, he bleeds and he finds himself into some pretty tight jams. And I think that that human excess, that humanity, you know, that was in that hero, in that hero you know, was something that probably was a bridge to a kid going, I can do that. Yeah. I can, I can, I, you know, I'm going to find a hat and jacket and, and learn how to 
mess around with a bullwhip and and do all these things. So there was a much a greater level of accessibility, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, um, so you started this project, um, uh, and it was about seven years, right, in the, uh, that you guys worked on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in the first three years was tinkering around, like, hey, we're going to remake Raiders, and then like, uh, okay, so how are you going to do that? Yeah. You know, and and realizing the logistics of actually putting together a a, a remake of a. 26 million dollar film you know in my backyard in mississippi and so that required some reaching out to friends eric and jason and people who are just sort of intoxicated with the world of raiders um, or elements thereof as i was and um didn't know how it worked didn't know the the structure of of the set didn't know what was needed had no idea what we were getting into so the first three years of of pushing through it was finding our way and educating yeah. ourselves in terms of the elements that needed to happen to like get a usable image that didn't suck you know that, <laughs> like you know we'd, we'd spend 12 or 16 hours messing around with a video camera and come back and watch everything and it was like wow this is unwatchable yeah. you know this is really terrible so so it was really kind of in the third year that we started to get our stride and then when we were like 16 17 is like when we had definitive shot lists and we had you know clear shooting days and you know uh catered food and <laughs> you, know, awesome. you know mom the mom catering service and you know and realized how truly difficult it was and where we were coming into more of an efficient well-oiled situation between the three of us where we're really planning and executing you know mm. and um yeah so about seven years and and then of course you know whatever it was 18 years later and we decided to go back and do the final scene and the final scene the one that uh, uh you guys really kind of achieve as kids uh it's a great memorable scene it's one of the, the best cinematic ballet um scenes it's the, the way it's it's just choreographed is phenomenal but the uh the nazi mechanic in the airplane uh spinning around and yeah the flying wing scene yeah i mean it's yeah. it's um it, there's so much history to that scene, even on the on Spielberg side, on how they did it and the complications that they had, and and what makes that such a almost perfect action sequence, you know, really? by any means against any film ever made, uh, and probably will ever be made. You know, that yeah. scene is like. Um, uh, Spielberg went and threw all the storyboards up on the wall. A lot of people don't know this and had to like clip out a bunch of stuff that they couldn't shoot just because they were down to the wire in terms of time and resources. And so there was, there's an efficiency of shots that mm. he laid out that makes that scene absolutely perfect. And, yeah. and you don't realize that until you get into it and try to do it yourself, you know, full scale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, you construct it and, and such and, and the use of music and, and just the tension, the level Everything. of it and the clarity of it, because you always know exactly what's going on. And, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, with a lot of action films that are uh, in lesser hands, that's not always the case. It's, it gets muddled and you, you're not really sure what you know, there's there's things happening on screen, but they don't have a, a sequence that is uh, that has that kind of clarity. Or it necessitates an you know, action sequence, I think that like take the Marvel, Marvel universe, for example. I mean, it's such a big world, right? So the writer's responsibility is, and the director's responsibility when doing it is to like maintain multiple levels of parallel action, you know? So you're going to like 
this character sequence and this character relationship and this fight sequence and moving this story, this, you know, storyline B and C and D along. So you've got, a, you know, the flying wing scene, scene was, is focused, you mm -hmm. know, and it's, it's all in camera, all practical. There's no, you know, there's no trickery, you know, right. it's, it's a dusty, dirty, scary action scene, you know, yeah. Where, where your hero is really in jeopardy. And that's what was damn exciting about it. And it, so you guys came back together uh, to do that. And uh, that's when uh, your story really was sort of getting out to people and 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 uh, uh, and people were really charmed by it. Uh, what if you had described that that reunion effort a little bit, uh, how would you describe the. Um, you know, there's something sort of there's something sort of um, anachronistic about this whole thing, right. you know, is that you've got a, you've got a childhood tale and a childhood effort being thrust into adulthood, mm -hmm. you know, and the adults are driving it to recreate something that they did when they were children. Right. So there's this very strange collision of, you know, the space time continuum, you know, of, of uh, people coming together when they've forged ahead well into their lives with families and relationships and, and, and children and marriage and divorces and death and all that kind of stuff. And you come together and you try to create, recreate something pure and blissful and Spielbergian and Raiders yeah. and put yourself in that moment uh, to capture the magic that you felt the, you know, the fluttery butterflies of excitement and adrenaline and uh when seeing something for the first time and coming back together and doing that you know that was that was a strange collision of sorts you know people kind of coming together so it was awkward it was exciting it was um powerful and fierce uh dangerous uh volatile um you know it was uh you know it was a, a lot of light and energy you know kind of coming into a space again that was uh, it was unnatural mm. you know it was yeah. it was it was it was naturally unnatural because natural meaning we all work so well together but right. it was unnatural by one what we were expecting and how we did it but what we expected of each other and there was a lot of um the thing i think i probably learned a lot is that there was a lot of incredible magic created from it and we did finish the scene and and i don't know if you've seen the completed scene but you know mm -hmm. we're all very satisfied with how it came out but that kind of re-engineering of life's normal timeline there's always collateral damage <laughs> yeah yeah um and it's it is interesting you know this it's uh an artificial construct to go back to sort of almost uh contrived nostalgia uh in 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 the name of this pursuit, and I, it seemed to me what one of the uh, the things that you had to deal with is that some people's priority was to get it exactly right, and some people's priority was to do it the right way. And 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 how you define what that means, uh, and what what your greater goal is, it's a nuanced thing. It's 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 a it's a difficult thing to express, but it, that kind of I could sense that you guys were at odds at times with that kind of philosophy. Very much so. I mean, I, I think one of the first discussions that we had is like, do we go into this as adults playing children? So do we create the 80s aesthetic, 
the downgraded lo-fi aesthetic with brown corduroy pants and vinyl right. brown jackets and you know um or do we like go for it you know and right. really try to like um make it a point of pushing ourselves in the capacity that we would have done so as children in in a newer context of really trying to make it as precise and awesome um as we could in order to still you know cater to that desire of paying tribute right. to the, the film that we love which is oh my god they got that detail where in the hell do you get a camel in mississippi yeah in the middle of summer like what what how do you do that you know and that was that was the sort of wow moments that i think we wanted to create and um and people that love raiders and no raiders and and all that kind of stuff will appreciate that you know with every single little item covered in terms of how things fall into frame and um the imperfections and and uh you know plot uh, little uh you know props and and pieces and how things move and it was um we had hardcore fans on set with us helping coming in driving in from all over the place because they simply wanted to be a part of it and i think that really helped us with um that passionate accuracy that when you watch it and it's completed form you're like yes yeah. you got it you know that's great and then i'm curious if you uh if you guys had done another film is there one that you know for sure that you guys would have done like if uh, is there a likely candidate like i'm curious if you would go for the sequel or if you would have maybe gone in a whole different direction you know uh, we i've been asked that question so so many times mm -hmm. as has eric and you know during all of our q and a's and we've really hashed this this question out between ourselves you know uh -huh. and i've really given it some thought and i love movies you know and uh but i don't there just isn't another film that i love so so yeah. much that i would i would remake it and and even though um we have already done it uh, remaking raiders still sounds like a great idea yeah you know and it still sounds fun i mean i think if there was a film that even came close like there was a film that came out a couple of years ago that turned me on like i hadn't been i just i hadn't been excited uh, uh, at this level for a long long time and it's probably in my top 10 which is uh, mad max fury road oh yeah and that you know i went to the theater and i saw that and it just it it just it just slashed me in half. I mean, that movie is so hardcore and so exciting. And I think, but it still plays into that in-camera practicality of yeah. like, how cool would it be to yeah. jump off of a moving vehicle with these massive spears and throw yourself across a, an exploding mound of sand? And so there's a physicality to it that is yeah. so attractive about that film that still leads me back to Raiders. So, you know, maybe aside from that the mad max series i'm not sure there is another movie that i would want yeah. to remake yeah and then, and then those movies the uh the tone is so different you know you don't have the the sort of uh the the kind of the, the joy of, of raiders you know you don't have that joy there's the joyousness uh yeah. to the raiders adventure uh and even though there's nazis and there's very real peril and uh scary moments and stuff 
it still exists in a universe, I think, where, you know, uh, the sun is shining and, and, you know, and, and there's adventure awaits, you know, and, and Fury Road takes you down a different path, you know. It's darker, you know, there's the darker yeah. element. I mean, uh, you know, the Mad Max movies, it's, it's, uh, it's when the human race has given up on itself, right? It's, yeah. it's the apocalypse, it's, it's the downfall. And Raiders is that wonderful, uh, beautifully set, romanticized snapshot in American history. I mean, you know, Nazis aside, you know, and that sure. horrible dark aspect of, 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 of humanity. Um, you know, this, this like, you know, savvy, good looking one man show of a hero going out into the world doing good things and and saving these like you know angelic spiritual objects for the for the good of all mankind and then there's a there's a simplicity and a purity in that romanticized story that i think holds up and i think that carries over from the mythology that joseph campbell story that was done i think raiders is probably a consummate example of that joseph campbell hero cycle that Castle and spielberg and lucas and uh, you know everybody that was involved in that crafted so well and that's why it gets under people's skin like I, I still see so many people so hardcore into indie. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, yeah, and it, it, the tone, uh, it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, Quentin Tarantino goes back into history and gets a hold of Hitler and kills him. Uh, Spielberg got a hold of Hitler in this and got his autograph. Like, I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a very yeah. different world, you know. Um, uh, and and uh, again, the, you know, that's not to say that there's no peril or menace because, I mean, those threats are very real and you really feel the stakes, but uh, there's a joyousness underneath. Absolutely. Um, when I was, uh, I wrote a lot about Super 8 when that film came out and I went and I, mm -hmm. I actually, I think I was probably one of the first people to see it outside of Bad Robot. Um, I'm talking to JJ about it and to Kathy Kennedy and to, to Steven um, about how they first met you know when jj was a kid he yeah. uh, he entered a super eight film contest in los angeles uh steven was reading the paper and saw this mention that uh jj and another youngster matt reeves also and he's mm. now doing the batman um that they they had had winning entries in this festival and and steven wanted his old super eight films that he had done himself repaired uh and I guess this was the easiest way to get that done. Like, it just sounds like a uh, after-school special to me, but yeah. uh, he, you know, Kathy Kennedy, uh, who is Steven's former assistant and now at that point producer and um, calls up, uh, reaches JJ's parents and then drops off these handful of films. Uh, it, it reminds me so much of what you guys did. And, and as you mentioned, Mississippi, it occurs to me, like, if you guys have been doing that, uh, in Orange County or in the Valley or, or, you know, San Diego even, and somebody got wind of it, you know, you, you would have had a brush with Hollywood probably early on. Uh, I'm not sure that would have been a good thing for it, but it's, uh, I agree. It's interesting the thing to consider. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's a rawness to what we did and, and it was just unchecked and unaffected. And, and I think that in retrospect, and it's, um, again, a question that we get a lot, which is, um, you know, why did you do this? You know, why, why did you do, you know, why did you spend your time and your childhood doing this? And we did it because we loved it and we just did it for ourselves. We want, we thought it would be really cool to see Raiders of the Lost Ark with kids, you know? And, and for me, it was, you know, a selfish 
drive, which is I just wanted to play indie, you know, and see yeah. if I could do it, you know, and, and yeah, hat. yeah, yeah, wear the hat and throw on the jacket and learn to use a bullwhip and, you know, uh, dash out of fire and, and run away from boulders and, and uh, play with snakes and fight the bad guys and, you know, yeah. all that fun stuff. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, it, it never occurred to me to ask you why, because it seems self-evident to me. Like it, it's I, the why is on the screen. I mean, because you got to do it. I mean, it's like uh, that's funny. It, uh, I totally get it. I, I the closest I ever came to the, your kind of ambition was not even close. But um, 1978, I uh, almost suffered a heat stroke uh, for Star Wars because my uh, <laughs> my grand my grandfather's sister, my great aunt, made me a Chewbacca costume. Oh, out of carpet remnants. And oh my God, South Florida, uh, and uh, and the bandolier uh, was made out of ivory soap wrapped in aluminum <laughs> foil. Um, but all awesome. said, the costume was probably about forty pounds, and you know, I was a fourth grader in uh, Sunshine Elementary, which lived up to its name with the sweltering heat. So that's that's all I ever gave for my my uh, my transcendence step into the movie moment uh yeah you guys, you guys gave a lot more uh what, what are some of the fun conversations some of the people that you've gotten to meet because of this uh maybe uh, an encounter or two i'm sure you've come across people that were really fascinated by what you've done well it's it's been an incredible journey and some of our you know i mean i think i think probably forefront to answering that question is we had the incredible uh opportunity to meet spielberg and, um, and so it was uh, one of those dream come true moments, you know, where you get to, you, you idolize somebody and you get to meet them and it's everything that you had hoped it would be. Nice. And um, yeah, and it was, uh, it was just, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. We were, it was right after the Vanity Fair article ran. I think we were, I don't know if we were in, uh, we had a, a sort of a, a, a project uh, option with Scott Rudin and uh, Daniel Klaus and Paramount. Um, I don't think that had happened yet. My memory is not so hot. Um, but anyway, we were in L.A. and we were doing screenings and, and uh, speaking and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, we, we actually had an agent at that time and we, and we were trying to hustle on other stuff and blah, blah, blah. And um, so we're driving around. And we get a call and um, it was, it was uh, basically the request that Stephen wanted us to come by and, and, and stop by, you know, and, uh, and visit. <laughs> oh, that's great. And it was like, you know, it was like, one, how did you find us? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, God himself had, had tracked us down, you know, knowing where exactly where we were. And um and I got off the phone. I was like, guys, Spielberg wants to meet us tomorrow. And, you know, it's like one of those like tear up moments where you yeah. almost want to cry. And we so we went to we went to the lot and um, drove to uh, Amblin and, um, you know, you park and the big Amblin gates open and you go up and uh, save the most ridiculous thing which comes out of my, you know one's mouth uh which which is hi we're here to see mr spielberg <laughs> yeah right 
you know and we walked up into the into the waiting room with all the rock wells on the wall and yeah. we hear we hear in the other room that voice that we all grew up with and came to know and um Spielberg himself walked in the room and he said hey boys how are you and uh you know I mean I practically peed myself and we sure. sat down we had a great conversation and um he shared some stories and then he invited us into his office and showed us outtakes from Raiders and Temple of Doom. Wow. Uh, and it, you know, his office was just, you know, yeah. amazing. That sort of low hanging cabana with stained wood and live birds and, a, and shelves of awards. And just, you know, it was just, it was just spectacular. And, yeah. and, you know, and, um, then you know and and then later years coming in to contact with finally you know i mean he's the kind of the one who kicked it all off which is eli roth eli sure. roth is you know who kind of connected us into the spielberg world um along with harry knowles and sure. tim league with the alamo draft house and we met Quint, uh, tarantino came to uh, uh our uh, second oh, screening with there and so we met quentin and and um and, uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez and, you know, just coming into a wonderful world of people that whose work we just love and admire and being able to tour and travel and meet fans all around the world who have similar stories to share. Um, a gentleman that we met came up to us. He was probably in his late 80s and he sent a, he gave us a DVD because um, people always, you know, that we aside from like maybe hardware wars. You know, we are, we are, our story and like, you know, the Raiders guys, you know, we were, we've been considered like the sort of like granddaddies of the fan film, you know, sure. uh, yeah. in terms of, in terms of a completionist aspect, you know, yeah. um, but actually, you know, we, people have been making fan films for so long. And so it was a nice eye opening experience. Like this gentleman, he, late eighties, you know, he gave us a DVD of all of the old film footage that he had digitized and some of it colorized that he did in the 1930s um, and 40s of him and his brother as kids remaking the Tarzan movies. No kidding. Yeah, wow. it was totally cool. And, and, um, and, you know, really going for it, you know, really like set, setting yourself out there, you know, and yeah. really going for it. So, so this idea of fandom and creativity and passion goes back much farther than what we know and um and so meeting people like that and then um and then meeting people from all ages who were so deeply emotionally riveted by what we did because it, i think i think that natural um people are compelled to you know when you're a kid or you see something magical you want you want to become part of it so so deeply whether it's anime whether it's the marvel universe whether it's raiders or indie or star wars or star trek or you know all these wonderful worlds of of fandom and and they all have their own microcosms you desire it so deeply so if you meet people who have consummated some of the the stuff that you really wanted to do it is a surprisingly emotional experience. Like I, we were in um, Florida and Eric and I were just, you know, hanging out, waiting to go up and get on the stage and answer some questions. And, and there was uh, a gentleman there who was our age, uh -huh. wearing a hat, wearing a jacket, you know, like in there rooting for us. And our movie finished and 
he turned around and he had just tears streaming down his face and he just he put his hand on my shoulder and he said you did it man you did it you did you did what we all wanted you know to do when we were kids you did it you know and that sort of you did it energy has come back to us so many times so so we've met a lot of people in different different stratas um you know producers directors actors we've met wonderful filmmakers creators and then just fans yeah well and the ones that you mentioned uh eli and robert rodriguez and steven uh those are three extremely warm guys very very yeah. thoughtful guys you know i mean very much so Eli's movies but i mean it, in person the guy's a sweetheart uh um and, totally uh, and steven is one of the most generous people uh with his attention and when you're talking to steven you he's completely listening to you and then it, I, I noticed that too that's interesting that you say that because that's one of the things that i think um well i didn't i don't know if it shocked me but i think i you know you really feel um it's such a validated uh present validating present way to like sit with somebody and he really like gives you his eyes you know and really acknowledges that you're there and gives you his full attention and it was um it was like wow it was such a, a lesson in, in emotional intelligence you know yeah yeah he's a he's just a lovely guy i mean he's a really wonderful person um you know it's really interesting i as a funny aside i have like one of my prized possessions uh i wrote for the la times for a long time like 21 years yep. um and i would go down to comic-con and, and compete with the other people covering it and uh, one year i remember new york times was covering it more than they had ever covered it and, and that mattered a lot to my bosses so i I wanted to do well. And uh, I think I did pretty well. I was scooping them on good stuff. And then um, I was moderating a lot of panels and um, I ran into New York Times reporter, Michael Sipley, who uh, was a great guy. And he looked so defeated. And I was like, what, what's wrong? And he's like, you know, my story today, not only did you have more than me, did you see my story? I said, I'm sorry, I, I didn't see it. And he shows me the paper, New York Times, and there's a picture of me and Steven Spielberg on the jump like nice. so a photograph of me talking to him on stage and it's the only photograph of the story they didn't know it was me whoever picked the photo didn't know it was a competing publication yeah uh but anyway to have a new york times photo of myself with him uh talking to him on stage uh especially because it, it was in their paper like i it's it's really hard to do any better but in the photo the thing I remember most is he's completely, you, you can just tell his attention is always on whoever he's talking to. And that's, I don't know if it's something that he's had to work on or if that's a natural gift, but it's, it, it really serves him well. Um, unlike, you know, I mean, if I, you haven't run into Harrison, he would have, he might've had a different. Yeah. I think that's always been a nervous, a nervous thing in the back of my mind that I would um, meet him. Never have. Uh, we've come into close proximity to each other. I know that, um, when we were in Idaho, he was like over the hill in, in Wyoming, at, at, you know, and, and I know he's got a, a ranch there, you know, with his airplane. And we were in town for a film festival um, uh, called Spud Fest. It was uh, Don Wells's uh, film oh. festival that, that she had in the mountains there. Oh, wow. and, yeah, and it was it was totally cool. And like I Don actually, Wells, like uh, Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. it was super cool. Yeah, it was an out. It was like an outdoor drive in thing and and other theaters in town and it was just it was very prairie and very uh you know 
very spud festy and but nice. it was such a good time and met so many great people there and um and she was lovely um and uh we had a great time and i think that's probably the closest that we've come because we knew somebody said you know harrison's in town you know and he's here i'm like well you know i, I don't know what to do with that information you know yeah, it's right, like, right. great you know i mean um however i think i think the uh there was one time where uh, a gentleman who was a hardcore hardcore indiana jones fan um had, was doing some audio work at a studio or something like that and uh he went up to go get harrison's autograph and um and he was all decked out and uh he told me later not harrison but this gentleman he, he said you know when i went up to get harrison's autograph harrison asked me hey are you one of those like mississippi guys that did the that did the the remake and he said oh, wow. no no I'm, I'm not so i know he knows about um I think, I think, uh, you know, it's like, be careful, you know, it's the standard thing, be careful of meeting your heroes, right? You know, because he's yeah. so, he's so famously cantankerous and, and, and grouchy with interviews and certainly uh, shuns in many regards that, that sort of like gushy fanboy. I would try to be understated and, and, and cool, but you know, you never know yeah. what you're going to get. And he's yeah. had that for his whole life. So. Yeah, and he loves Indiana Jones, though. You know, like he, he does like that character, unlike Han Solo, which is a character he's never really particularly connected with or cared for. I uh, I had experience with Harrison talking about Raiders once uh, when the uh, the fourth one was coming out, and uh, um, I went to interview him in Santa Monica at uh, a hangar, uh, and he was I remember he, he was sitting there and he's eating a, a bran muffin, um, and. I said, you know, uh, Harrison, I gotta tell you, it's like, it's really a thrill to see the that logo back and hear that music and 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 you know these films, you know the Indiana Jones uh, magic. And I said, I have a son now, and he's you know he's I think at that time he's like five or six. I said, you know he might he's in the backyard and he's got the hat and the whip, and I look out and I see him, and it's just you know it's a uh, I know it's going to mean a lot to him someday, uh, and it means a lot to him already, and. He took a bite of that that dry brand muffin, and he said, "He'll get over it." I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, I'm that like, sounds like okay. that sounds that sounds okay. like him. Yeah, I, I just uh, watched an interview on Conan O'Brien with with Harrison, and uh, one of Conan's associate producers comes out, who's a hardcore nerdy, you know, Raiders fan, indie fan, like you know, like me and the rest of us, you know, yeah. who comes out. And they have like a stare off and it's a bit you know they it was a very yeah. very very much of a bit but um asked him about the whip uh and uh the david morgan whip that he used in raiders and he goes i don't know you know like <laughs> who cares right who yeah. effing cares you know yeah. and then conan asked him hey do you have like uh do you have all that stuff in your house like your original jacket and your hat and your whip and all that you know any props from raiders you know or anything in your house he goes I don't keep that crap around my yeah. house. I'm, I'm rich. I don't need to do that. <laughs> you know, it was a total bit, but it was really funny. Yeah. And, it, you know, it echoed his personality, I think. So I don't know, never met him. I'd love to, but you know, who knows what, what I'd get. Can I tell you one other funny little short aside is I, uh, for Empire Strikes Back anniversary, Lucasfilm did a charity screening in LA and Harrison came and 
and uh, they called up and said, "Will you interview him on stage?" And I was I was shocked. Wow. I didn't think that he really liked me, but they said that you're the only one that Harrison and George agreed on. I was like, God, my, they know my wow. name. Wow, that is um, awesome. And I found out later what Harrison, he liked the story I'd written because um, in it, I said that, uh, you know, people don't really understand the why Harrison Ford isn't uh, warmer uh, in some instances. But here's the reason is because, you know, you gotta remember he used to be a carpenter, right? And, and he, that was his way of approaching things. And to him, making movies like making a roller coaster. Like if you go and you meet a guy that makes roller coasters and you say, you have the, the most exciting roller coaster in the world, he'll say, thank you. Tell him you have, he has the most commercially successful roller coaster. He'll say, you're too kind. Tell him it's art and he'll laugh in your face. That's because Harrison Ford makes roller coasters. And that's exactly how he sees it. And he, and he loved that I got it. Cause like uh, I, it was written just like that in the story because um, I asked him, why do you say customers instead of fans? You know, why do you say customers instead of fans? Because that, it almost seems like you're needling people uh, by doing that. And he's like, no, I just, it's just the way I see things. Um, so I go to that QA, wow. Empire Strikes Back. And before he arrives, he's in a great mood. He comes up to my son and goes, your name's Ben. I have a son named Ben and high fives him. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, he was so happy. I was so excited. So I was talking, 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 getting stuff ready. And then backstage, uh, it's decided he's gonna sit for the movie, uh, the Q&As after the movie, and he can't get a drink during the movie. So he, uh, he's got popcorn only. But uh, right after he found that out, I came up and said, hey, I found out about this, this, and this. And he goes, look, enough of this Lone Ranger and Tonto shit, okay? Yeah. <laughs> oh! I'm like, yes, of course. I'm yeah. just gonna go over here and get ready to interview you on stage because now it's going to be such a joy <laughs> yeah yeah that's um yeah i i think uh you know i think for me i would just i don't know i mean if i had the opportunity i i would take it you know but i i've, I've heard stories like that and i get it and, and what a cool experience for you I mean, that's oh really I, I consider it one of my greatest it happened at the arc light here in hollywood and you know we don't know what's the fate of the arc light is but it's whenever I pass it, I always think of that. Like, I mean, it, I treasure that. And just seeing him with my son and that interaction uh, is just fantastic. And, and when the Q&A started, it was a, like a $200 a seat. It was a fundraiser for St. Jude, so for a very good cause. But talk about nerves. The lights come up. I have to go out and introduce Harrison. And I look at the crowd and the first person I see is Christopher Nolan who's sitting next to his brother. And then I look in the middle and there's Kevin Feige sitting with John Favreau. Oh my God. And here's Ewan McGregor. Uh, here's Peter Mayhew. Like, you know, and uh, it was either, uh, well, it's it just actually, it was, it was so many people, like I didn't have time to be nervous. Um, yeah. But I did think, wow, this better be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little overwhelming. You've got quite the audience uh, to to impress. <laughs> now they're talking about another Indiana Jones movie. Does that does that get you excited, or does you know some people have mixed feelings about the fourth one? Uh, how how are you feeling at this point as a fan? I, I I'm excited. You know, yeah. I mean, I I think it's um, you get older, and here we are, and you know, hey, we have the opportunity to see a lot of magical energy come together, you know, and whatever's, uh, whatever people think about Crystal Skull, you know, um, I can get into both sides of that argument very easily, you know, and that discussion, you know, I mean, it, you can go down different, different paths and look at the film 
in, in different ways, you know, but the fact of the matter is it's, it's continuation of a very special franchise. And I don't know if it has the same level of fatigue that Star Wars does, for example. And I still love Star Wars and I'm still a big fan. And, you know, I still continue to watch everything uh, as best I can. Um, but yeah, the next indie, I'm rooting for it. Uh, I see cast announcements. Uh, I'm excited. Everybody's going to be excited. Whatever. Uh, I, I think it was. Was it the movie Almost Famous? Where. They're talking to the journalist and the journalist is like being really sort of like jaded and 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 like talking about Bowie, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like, oh, yeah, well, Bowie, blah, 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 blah. And then Bowie walks in. And he goes, oh, my God. You know, <laughs> I think it's the same. I, I, I think it's the same thing with Indiana Jones. Like you can you can get as clinical and sort of cerebral about it. And like, well, you really know, I mean, they should really just continue the franchise and blah, blah, blah. And Harrison's older and blah, blah, blah. It's not going to be as a, and they're like, well, it's announced. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll go see it then. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'll go see it three times. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. About it. Like that's my favorite. It, yeah. And so yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm there. Ticket in hand. Let me know when it's opening. I'll go see it. Of course. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. And that's the funny thing about Star Wars is like, when people hate the movie, you know, and you say to them, well, boy, you sure remember it well. Well, I saw it five times, but I absolutely yeah, right. it. <laughs> well, gee, I wish somebody hated my movie the way that people hate his movie. Uh, it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, there is a certain magic to it. And I think James Mangold is a great choice to direct it. You know, I, mm -hmm. think, I think James Mangold's a really good director. and He's super, super smart uh, and he gets it. I mean, the fact, what he did with the Logan character. You yeah. Know, and stuff like that. I think it's- I agree. He's just a really tremendous, and I like even his lesser-known films like Copland. I think he's a great movie. I think he does really good stuff. Uh, you know, uh, Three Ten to Yuma, all that. Um, that's great. Uh, uh, is there uh, is there a, a character or a aspect of Indiana Jones that you would like them to revisit, or are you just ready for just whatever they they take, wherever they take it? You know, I, I think. I think wherever they take it, I mean, I think, I, I, I mean, who knows what kind of, how they're going to handle this installment in terms of storyline and plot points, you know, they're, they're going to, whatever they're going to do, they're going to give Harrison big moments, right? They're going to, you know, with great set pieces and it's such an opportunity for so many people to come together to create, uh, you know, a, a fantastical world that Indy is going to bounce around in and get in trouble and get out of trouble. And, you know, and, uh, and, and so that kind of whimsical quality is what I'm looking forward to. You know, uh, nobody wears the costume like Harrison, you know, that is Harrison's costume. And, um, uh, you know, that he just, that's, that's his deal. You know, he, you know, to have that sort of, um, catch your breath moment where you see Harrison again in, in, in that great hat and jacket and, um, and, and the ruggedness, uh, you know, I just think his, you know, Harrison is, is one of a kind, you know, his yeah. mannerisms and uh, he's a very physical actor, you know, hands flailing about, um, you know, uh, he's always crouched, uh, you know, he's always moving. He's always, he's, he's constantly in this like physical fluctuation and, and poised to react and, and very animated facial expressions. And, you know, and um, 
I just excited to see that. I, mm -hmm. I like I like watching him. You know, he's he's a charismatic, larger than life, one of a one of a kind movie star. And you know, you just you go to see him for that reason. Um, I hope they keep him in a practical environment. You know, where he's you know you see the dust coming off of his shoulder and and things get broken and and they blow up things real time and you know there's wood crushing and and leather tearing and you know and and vehicles uh driving off of cliffs and whatever but i hope they i hope they move away from the cgi thing and i know it may not be a realistic thing to ask that or expect that but um uh i enjoy that i think it i think it continues the world of accessibility of of indie and keeps us in that environment yeah, it speaks to the time uh, in which the story is set. You know, like yeah, you know, like I mean, that's that's what uh, the the old serials were like. You know, like and and uh, it's like a supersized, super turbo driven uh, serial movie serial from from the '30s. Completely. And, and to make it digital wash or or uh, you know overpopulate it with digital people and such uh, would I think it would be uh, a mistake. And I, I doubt that they'll do that. I think that they have a sense of that. Uh, but uh, uh, be there's a oh sorry so uh, sorry I, I was uh, I was gonna say you know I hope one of the things that they do and I don't know if this falls into <sighs> Hollywood's best philosophical practices you know but the fact of the matter is Harrison's getting older yeah. you know and um, and and it would be great to see a twilight narrative, you know, woven in where those of us who grew up with this character and this actor, we feel that that tear jerk, right? We feel it in our heart, we feel it in our soul, knowing that there is a, a denouement, you know, that yes. there is a, you know, and and um and and that exciting decrescendo, you know. Um, and I would love to see an embrace of of that you know, and Harrison, who seems, you know, he's always very candid and, and very sort of straightforward, it seems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if he, if he brings that to the storyline and, and Indy's presence with like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm an older Indiana Jones and this is, this is what it is, you know, and meeting that in a true way where the mythology still resonates with fans young and old. I think, I think that would be something I'd like to see. Yeah, yeah, I think that sounds really nice. I, I, I don't know if I would want to see him expire. Like, no, I, no, 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 not, not, Han Solo not, no. I'm saying that, like, you know, it's like what we saw in Last Crusade, um, you know, yeah. riding off into the sunset where it's not on the nose, right? It's yeah. something like it, it. It's like what I think it's what what J.J. Abrams has done in Star Wars in many regards is paying tribute in such a beautiful way to the things that we love and appreciate about Star Wars through, through the, through the ages, you mm -hmm. know, and, and making a nod to that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's like, I just hope, I hope we feel that, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. And it's not, and it's not just a roller coaster ride, you know, it's, you know, or it leaves us with some, you know, Absolutely. Tug, tug my heart a little bit, you know. I'm it's at the place the in my life where I can, I can. It'd be cool. Absolutely, absolutely. That's very well said. That's very well said because I, I agree with you 100. And and you know, looking back on the old movies, I, I, 
I find so much of them so endearing and so touching, you know, like seeing see River Phoenix. Yeah. It's very touching for me to, cause I, you know, you know, saw that when he was alive and now he's not. And, and just, you know, what it, what it means about the passage of time and things like that. Um, but yeah, uh, if there's anything, if there's a movie that needs heart, that's the one. If it doesn't have heart, let's just, let's just skip it. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to have some guts, man. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, what a treat to talk to you. And uh, Likewise. And what, is, what a surprise to um, uh, receive your invita invitation to, to be uh, on your show. And I, I appreciate your time and, and let me know if there's anything else, uh, you know, you, you need to, to fill in the gaps. <laughs> let's go see. Let's go see a damn Indiana Jones movie together. Yeah. Out, yeah. A lot of fun. Oh, man. That would be super awesome. Yeah. Well, terrific. Well, it's very nice meeting you. And uh, a pleasure, you know, Jeff. And you wear the hat well. No, thank you. <laughs> what a compliment. I appreciate that. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Okay. All right. So thank you for tuning into Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. You just heard from Chris Strompolis, who as a teen recreated Raiders of the Lost Ark um, by hand, shot for shot in his backyard. Um, talking with Jeff Boucher about childhood memories and just the enduring impact of the Indiana Jones franchise. Uh, Jeff, I was wondering, um, and we talked about this before we recorded the outro, um, but in the, the book Raiders that talks about Chris and his friends filming and in some interviews and journalistic pieces, he talks about how the character of Indy offered a charismatic escape for him because he felt really self-conscious about a lot of body image issues. And you mentioned that that was also something that, that you went through. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if you want to talk about your, your anecdote about swimming. Um, yeah, sure. But... Yeah. It's, I grew up in um, South Florida and uh, yeah, I, I, I could relate to that um, experience that Chris had. Uh, I was a pretty heavy kid. Um, affection was shown through food by my, uh, my, uh, the folks that raised me, which was my uh, grandfather's sister. I was raised in a senior citizens community in South Florida and uh, there was no other kids around. Um, and uh, uh, it was uh, like being Anne Frank of Century Village, except that, uh, you know, there was, it ended much better than that. Um, and uh, uh, there was a TV commercial those days for Wendy's, uh, the fast food place. And it's called, the motto was, where's the beef? You know, it's like an old lady and she'd be in line at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. She's like, where's the beef? Because their burgers were too small at the com competition. Um, and that became my nickname. I was the beef, like at my school. So whenever I would walk in, people said, where's the beef? He's here. And, um, you know, it, it's, you know, I was with kids, it's tough. For me, uh, comics and Star Wars and, and uh, Star Trek and all of that was this, this wonderful interior, interior life and also kind of a, a way to experience, um, you know, some of the things that Chris was talking about, like the, you know, things that are heroic and dynamic and confident and uh, uh, exciting. And, uh, you know, all that stuff really worked for me um, when I got in... Uh, early high school I shot up I grew a lot I'm 6'3 now um and I still struggled with my weight for years but um you know that changed a few uh, you know in my 40s when I lost like you know 40 50 pounds um 
but I never learned to swim as a kid because I was self-conscious. There's a picture of me at this uh, party when I was in fourth grade um, at a school uh, function. One of our te my teachers had a, a pool party, which is very unusual for teachers to do, but it was a gifted class, you know, like I, I got pulled out of class to go to this thing. And I loved that class and I loved her. And so I went to this pool party, but I was the only one that wasn't in a bathing suit. And there's a picture and I look like the godfather, like I'm wearing, you know, like overly dressed and uh, plump. And, um, uh, you know, that, that was a real long time for me where I was real self-conscious about that stuff and, and, and literally did not learn how to swim. Um, and uh, it was something I wasn't proud of uh, in fact, it was just the opposite. But a few years ago, like about four years ago, uh, I finally took the plunge, so to speak. And uh, I taught myself how to swim as a surprise, primarily for my fiance, because I wanted to shock the world. I wanted to jump in the water in front of her and have her react with horror and fear, and then have it replaced with a sense of wonder and pride. <laughs> um, uh, and it worked. It worked. It was, it was great. I wish I had... Uh, I wish I could show you film of her reaction because it was, it, was, it was pretty priceless. Uh, the hardest thing about teaching yourself how to swim, which I did with YouTube, is getting the computer in the water, you know, because it's really, it's kind of heavy and, I, no, I'm just joking, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but it was, a, it's a, it was a lot of fun to uh, get past that, um, you know, kind of childhood um, deficiency or childhood insecurity. But there's still one left on that list, you know, I, and you're going to be surprised when I say this, but I never learned to ride a bike. So that's next mm -hmm. on the list is I'm going to learn to ride a bike. That's my way of being Indiana Jones. Instead of putting on a hat, I just learned to pedal a bike. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, because Chris talks about how Indy was both um, a, a mode of being he could inhabit where he could temporarily escape and he could be confident and he could imagine himself as charismatic desirable um you know that he could do these action-oriented things without having to worry about the stigma that he'd incur in real life but I mean also I think it's a double-edged sword because you're also kind of if you're focusing these shots and trying to look like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you're going to be comparing yourself uh -huh. um, to, to, to these, I mean, Hollywood just cast picturesque people. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that's yeah. definitely a, a, a thing among women in fandom, but I mean, I think that we talk less about male body image. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you're exactly right. It's like, uh, putting on the costume makes you feel like you're in the world, but then uh, there's that moment where, you know, you, you don't feel like you fit in the costume, you know, or mm -hmm. you don't, and, and, and I mean, fit in different, in different ways. Um, so yeah, it is, it is tough. Uh, it's an interesting kind of uh, uh, phenomenon and, and cosplay in general, um, I think is an extension of that same spirit, you know, that, uh, I think it's just a great desire to walk in that world, to walk in, the, to open, open up the screen and just jump into the world where, um, you know, you can settle things with, uh, you know, a whip or a, a, a right, uh, you know, uppercut or a, a wink uh, or, you know, figuring out some ancient puzzle. Yeah, he's so capable. Everybody wants to be capable and, and fun mm -hmm. and exciting. Um, 
And I think Indy is easier than a lot of them because he does get his ass kicked a lot. Like, I mean, he gets <laughs> knocked down and, you know, and his, his, his dad gets the girl and, you know, like, I mean, there's, he gets knocked around pretty good. And uh, other than the, you know, when he took the trip in the, in the refrigerator and walked away from it, he's, you know, a very human uh, guy, you know, like he doesn't do supernatural things really. Um, he encounters them, but he is one of them. Uh, so he's kind of uh, accessible, but uh, and it's you know I think it's the hat. Everybody just loves the hat. Mm-hmm. You know, I went. Yeah, to... I mean his character is so tied up in simple, replicable pieces that anybody can pay homage to it. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't take a lot, like a lot of effort. Like if if you were to try to, you know, cosplay a Twi'lek from Star Wars, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of baggage and and opportunity costs there. I think even in an interview, Rosario Dawson was talking about playing Ahsoka and she says she never felt really into character until she had all the makeup, all the costumes, all the prosthetics, and the contacts and she was like oh when I finally put the contacts so like the last kind of icing on the cake then I felt like Ahsoka and it's like wow. oh yeah Ashley Eckstein just needs to go in a booth <laughs> yeah exactly uh it's, it is an interesting thing and uh um it's become such a, a central part of the comic-con experience it's 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 hard to explain to people that have no uh, kind of anchorage in that world or, or any experience with fandom. You know, you, you take a civilian, so to speak, to like Comic-Con and they just, like their eyes are like, what is going on? Like, they just don't even get it. Um, and, you know, and I, I grew up in that culture, kind of, you know, I went to my first convention in 1980, 1980, I think it was, 1980, I went to Miami Con at a, uh, a Holiday Inn in, in South Florida. And uh, uh, I still have some of the stuff I bought there that day, which is kind of funny. Um, and, uh, you know, we waited in line that day so I could uh, get an autograph from Darth Vader, who was, I knew wasn't Darth Vader. Darth Vader was dead at that point, I thought. No, Empire Strikes Back was out. I knew he wasn't dead. Um, but I knew that this wasn't him because, you know, he wouldn't be in Miami. Like, like, what would he be doing there? And if he was, he'd be like taking over the place, you know? So I didn't really think it was Darth Vader, but it was exciting for me to meet somebody in that costume. And uh, it was exciting to, to also dress up as Chewbacca, uh, which I did and nearly suffered a heat stroke in 1978 at Sunshine Elementary in Miramar, Florida, wearing a costume that was homemade out of carpet remnants, mm-hmm. brown, heavy carpet. Uh, you know, uh, and an ivory. I'm thinking soaps. like 70 shag carpets. Is that accurate? Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have photographic evidence of this too. I'll share it with you at some point. Uh, and then uh, for my bandolier, I had uh, ivory soap wrapped in. It's like 10 bars of ivory soap wrapped in aluminum foil. Mm-hmm. You know, the combination of shag carpet and aluminum foil, uh, uh, you know, soap hanging around. Um, it was a difficult Halloween parade at Sunshine Elementary for me that day. I can tell you that I don't really have a clear memory of how it ended. Uh, I think that the, I, you know, passed out um, 
but that that's literally how you make a can like a like a sun oven is is an enclosed insulated environment in aluminum foil it's it is like it was you know it's amazing i remained heavy after that you would think i would have sweated all the weight off at that point but uh uh it was it was one of my happiest moments though because my uh the woman that raised me uh my great aunt virginia who i adore and was my first best friend and uh, probably the nicest person I've ever met in my life. Um, she she toiled on it, and uh, uh, you know it was. Uh, it, she would do. She would go to any length uh, to support my passions at that age. You know, and uh, um, yeah, and I, I hope I thanked her a lot because it really meant a lot to me. It was really cool. What drew you to Chewbacca? A good question. I, I think because uh, I wanted to have a friend like that. You know, I think that's the great. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, I don't know. He's a big guy. I felt like I identified with him. I don't know. He seemed very loyal and thoughtful. I love that. You know, he's based on the same character or same uh, dog as you know Indiana Jones. You know, like Indiana uh, George Lucas drove across Alaska with his dog, and he had what, what's a it's a really big dog. Um, uh, I'm not sure what it's called, like a mastiff, or a, it's not a mastiff, but it's it's like what's a what is a like Marmaduke? Do you know Marmaduke? Uh, is that a Great Dane? Yeah, I think so. He had a really big dog, but I don't think it was a Great Dane. But it, yeah, it's a Great Dane. The, um, George's dog sat in the passenger seat, and he had this real long drive, and he would talk to him. And the dog's name was Indiana, uh, mm. and talking to him in and that trip gave him um, the idea of Han Solo and Chewbacca, the idea of having a faithful co-pilot who uh, some people might call a pet, but not. He's a friend. He's a co-pilot. Deserved a medal, in fact. But um, uh, that cross-country or cross-long uh, trip. Uh, gave the inspiration for uh, Chewbacca, but it also the dog lent his name to the most famous archaeologist in history. Um, so, uh, boy, that was one awesome dog. Mm -hmm. Well, they're they're an awesome species. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 we'll have to double check. I, I'm not sure if I got this, uh, the the breed right, but um, I always like that story though. But yeah, I'm not sure why I like Chewbacca. I think it's just. He was big and strong and fierce and loyal and uh, yeah, cuddly, I guess, in his own way. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed Peter Mayhew or talked to Peter Mayhew once, the guy that played Chewbacca. He came to the Empire Strikes Back screen I did and uh, just a massive, tall guy. Just uh, his height was really, really, you don't even get a sense of it until you're standing next to him. Because like I said, I'm not, not uh, short, I'm like six three, um, but it's hard to think of anybody I look up to more than Peter Mayhew because mm. he's he's so freaking tall, the late great Peter Mayhew. So he had a great cane with him, a long ornate dragon-headed walking. Oh, cool! Stick. Yeah, he was a it's an interesting character and real long, uh, curly hair and um, uh, flowing hair and. Just a real interesting guy. Seeing him, I was I was very happy that Harrison Ford was so nice to him uh, that day uh, because it, it worried me. 
because like I, you know, Han Solo and Chewbacca mean so much to the fans and like the idea of them mm-hmm. together and, you know, it's romanticized uh, as a, as a, as a, uh, a friendship and partnership. But, uh, you know, Harrison's kind of a, can be kind of a grumpy guy and he doesn't, Star Wars doesn't hold the charm for him that it does for fans. And, uh, you know, Peter Mayhew didn't go on to a, a huge substantial career, as far as I know, you know, after his Chewbacca time. Um, so I could, I could, I was worried that Harrison would be dismissive, but I was oddly protective of Peter Mayhew that day. In my mind, I, I, I wanted it to go well. And Harrison was great, he was super warm. So uh, these are the funny things you worry about once you've worn the carpet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quick question, in The Last Jedi, in that kind of fan service moment where Chewbacca gets a medal, how did you feel? Did you feel vindicated or did you feel like pandered to? <laughs> Uh, I felt, I thought it was kind of, it was a, it was like a lot of Star Wars stuff is for me. It was a real mix. It's like, it's, it's, it's like, oh, uh, you know, like I, I, it's like, huh. it's, I don't know. It's a little bit of both. Uh, I have that feeling about a lot of Star Wars stuff. I, I think to me, like the, uh, I, I, I like JJ. I think JJ's great. Uh, I think he's in person. He's a wonderful person. He's done really great things in his life. Uh, I like the way he carries himself to the world. Um, but I, uh, you know, he's had the, the challenge that anybody that works on a Star Wars film has had since, you know, um, really since you know, uh, the 80s that, uh, you know, fans want the same thing. They want what they had, but they want it different, you know, but not too different. And the different thing that they want, they're not sure what it is, but it better be great, but it better not be too different. You know, like it, it becomes like a museum piece. Um, and, uh, and I, I don't know, I have real, I'm conflicted about it, but I'm also, I'm worried that the, that, uh, the villagers will get out the torches and come get me if I if, okay. I, if I if I slag on it too much. But I I, I still enjoy it, um, but I can't enjoy it with the purity that I used to enjoy. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about porgs. I'm like putting cute animals in peril is the most cynical way of manipulating me as a viewer that I can possibly think of. But I love porgs, and <laughs> this yeah. makes me love them more. Please get them out of peril. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, please maybe don't hurt them. They're so yeah. small. <laughs> exactly, it's true. It's true. Uh, except Ewoks, I have like uh, uh, my, uh, my my malice, my unreasonable malice toward Ewoks continues. Uh, I, mm. I know that this isolates me. I know that it's uh, you know people will think less of me for saying it, but I got no love for the Ewoks. I'm sorry. Have you ever interviewed? How were they played? Were they? They had actors yeah. inside them. Have yeah, you ever War- interviewed somebody who was an Ewok? Yeah, Warwick, um, who who um, he was he was the lead Ewok, and he also uh, he was in Willow. Uh, he mm-hmm. was in um, uh, Harry Potter franchise. He he played multiple roles in in Harry Potter franchise, and he was um, you know uh, he was a super nice guy, charming, uh, uh, very very accomplished guy and uh I, I did not mention to him my my harbored aggression toward Ewoks because he was so nice and also I really want people to like me and I was afraid that he wouldn't like me if I told him so I didn't tell him okay it didn't make <laughs> you think differently of Ewoks having seen his perspective from inside the Ewok suit 
No, not so much. No, okay. <laughs> no, no, not so much. Because to me, it's just, it's, it's, it, you see an Ewok, I see not Chewbacca. Because like Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi was supposed to end on the Wookiee planet. That's the way it was supposed to go. And that's what made sense. It was going to be like Zulu Dawn, a huge native uh, force versus uh, uh, a, a smaller, higher tech, better weaponized uh, invader. Mm-hmm. And um, I was ready to see some Wookiees ripping arms off stormtroopers. But, uh, and I know I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you're wearing armor, you're running around wearing stormtrooper armor, and a teddy bear throws a rock at you, and you fall down, just take the armor off because it's not helping. I don't know what it does, but if it doesn't help you with a teddy bear throwing a stick, then you need to rethink your way of walking through this universe. That's what I have to say, Stormtroopers. Yeah, they could have done a world where they had both like two two races, the, the uh, Wookiees and the Ewoks. That would have been interesting seeing the dynamic there, but... You know, it was all about the Happy Meal, man. They just wanted to get that Happy Meal. That way you still have the Happy Meal, but you... (laughs) Unhappy Meal for me, because I just want my Wookiees. And there's no Wookiees, there's no Ewoks on the Wookiee planet. Mm -hmm. There's no Wookiees on the Ewok planet. You can't have it both ways. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm bitter. (laughs) I continue to be bitter about the teddy bear luau that ended Mm -hmm. the, the space opera that I loved as a kid. I remember sitting in Return of the Jedi, just sitting there like when did this get silly like why if you guys are gonna if you guys don't care why should i care like i mean you think about empire strikes back that is a heavy movie like mm-hmm. it doesn't end well like for the good guys and there was like i thought it was going to continue that darker uh, and it felt like as it, i was becoming a teenager like it felt like uh it, i was growing up with it and then you know suddenly it wanted to go back to uh you know like hang out with Harry Smurfs or whatever they are, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, I don't want to hang out with Harry Smurfs. Returning to Indiana Jones, how did you feel about <laughs> Temple? How did you feel about Temple of Doom? Because I feel like that has a similar, yeah. um, occupies a similar rent space in people's heads. As, oh, that memory. Yeah, yeah. That I franchise I love did that, whether it's the histrionics or the, the Broadway number which which i like or or you know just the overt racism <laughs> yeah yeah there's so much there uh you know and i know that there's this this uh you know this the pendulum is swung back in the other direction just like it has with the first star trek movie star trek motion picture or different things where people are like no you know what I, well you know we were this or that you know but yeah i i i i felt like the second one it was oddly shrill to me like, it, you know, like I enjoyed the first one so much. It was so, uh, it was like uh, rollicking and, and, and inviting and, and uh, uh, fun. And, uh, and the second one lost a lot of that. Um, uh, probably losing listeners left and right here. Like people are unsubscribing, like going off. <laughs> like, oh yeah, Star Wars in Return in the second Indiana Jones movie. Come on. That's crap. I don't think yeah. you're allowed to be that passionate about Indiana Jones unless you are like Chris Strompolis. Then it's okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, um, I went to a dinner the other night at People's House, which has been such a long time since I did that. And mm-hmm. I went to Matt Mendy's house for dinner the other night. Oh, he yes. Dinner. And uh, and he was he was sporting Indiana Jones hat. He's walking. He yes, he has a new fedora. Yeah. And I was like, check you out. 
and uh, uh, because I assist him and we text, he accompanies now lots of his his texts and questions with a cowboy hat emoji. Well, there you go. There you go. Him and uh, Dave Filoni, like they're like they're owning it. I uh, I admire it. I met the first time I met Dave, he was wearing that hat, Indian Jones hat, and he's I, you know many times since then he's worn it. And I, uh, you know, it's I love it because it's a pure representation of his passions and you know it's like the uh, uh it's the art of wearing a hat and wearing it mm -hmm. you have to believe in it <clears throat> the hardest thing to do is wear a hat if you don't think you look right or if you don't feel it so yeah and again you. i think that's part of the genius of the character it's like you need just a few set pieces like fedora and you're done and, and anybody can go out and find them it's not like you know you have to um make your own prosthetics or anything exactly exactly or, yeah, or yeah, buy an expensive lightsaber i mean maybe if you want to splurge on a whip or something or like an authentic really nice leather jacket or a really nice wool fedora like i guess but it can be scaled up or scaled down depending on your means yeah if you lose the whip you can just blend in like at a jazz festival you can walk in as long as you just you know not you don't it doesn't have to be uh it's not like dressing up like boba fett where like you know like you can mm -hmm. only go certain places without people like saying, excuse me, are you okay? Um, but uh, yeah, you can blend in, except for the whip, I suppose. I think the whip is, is uh, that's especially, the, when the, the fourth Indiana Jones movie came out, Lucasfilm sent all this stuff to my house, which was very nice because I had a little, uh, you know, I have a daughter and a son and they both adore those movies, especially my son. He, he became like, um, he dressed like Indiana Jones for like months um and oh i mentioned that during the interview and uh uh i have a picture of him with steven spielberg at uh, mm -hmm. that screening we did and uh he's just just beaming and holding his whip and and i was i, I was thinking how many times has steven spielberg taken a picture with somebody wearing that hat like it's probably quite a few what do you think about this here's my most controversial take on indiana jones the second movie what in that movie made steven spielberg fall in love do you think monkey brains i think well it's so cool it's so gross it's like a science experiment yeah. i think it it's like one of those ads in the old comic magazines where it's like one dollar order in to own like your very own goblet of monkey brains that's right um it's we like have trees in our neighborhood that produce i forget what their actual name is because the name monkey brain has eclipsed them they produce these huge apple-sized oh. globular fruits that are green with like brain-like ripples on the surface. Yeah. So everyone just calls them monkey brains and we would, you know, shove them in each other's faces growing up. We'd kick them around and smash them and get wow. the, you know, the greasy, grimy gopher guts all over the place. And there's just something very gleeful and <laughs> horrifying about it. Yeah, you know? that's terrifying, yeah. No, I, 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 I've seen those things. Those are kind of a weird- Yeah, same weird thing, thing with that whole, the ripping out of hearts like that's oh, just yeah. so <laughs> yeah i think i think it, Lee. yeah Lee but it's out. just also it's so gross and wonderfully childish and yeah. like those halloween parties where you're blindfolded and they're like put your hand in this bowl these are intestines and it's just like cold spaghetti but i think yeah. that's a really guiding impulse behind so much of that film that 
um it it could have gone somewhere um trouble is it's mixed with so much more matured things about religion and child slave labor that it just seems kind of trivial by comparison especially coming off Raiders of the Lost Ark where you're like fighting Nazis and dealing with the ineffable presence of God um yes (laughs) it's kind of like uh it's passionate but it's it's also yeah I see the disjunction between that and the rest of the franchise yeah the tonalities are all over the place like it's like you know yeah it's uh yeah short rounds let's I mean wow really yeah I don't know but I have to say the third one I really liked the third movie Mm -hmm. uh, with Sean Connery I have a real soft spot for that movie I really love that movie I think it's really 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 watchable um and I like the idea of Sean Connery and Harrison Ford together it must have been just like just the grumpiest people, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would love to see them uh, interacting. Um, and, I, and I don't mean to give Harrison a hard time. I think he's great. I mean, he's, you know, he's um, meant a lot to me uh, as a film fan and as a, and he's been uh, mostly nice to me and I like him and he's great, so. Yeah, I like but, it when uh, people I'm, are jealous of their own friendliness, you know, it's not something that they just bestow. I like people who are more private and, you know because we have such i worked in retail for a while as a society we have such an expectation of others that absolute Mm. friendliness and um accommodation being accommodating should be everyone's default and i kind of like people who ignore that yeah yeah absolutely there's a certain flimsiness to being Mm um you know uh, relentlessly cheerful and and uh, kind of you know, overly, you know, deferential, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's These another appeal of Indiana Jones to kids is you don't have to be kind of... Nice. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to be nice. He's he's quite a mean part. When he shoots the swordsman, uh, that is, I think it was a really kind of a, it was a, a really bold and audacious thing and uh to include in the movie and it really summed up that character in in a lot of ways you know like you can't see um that happening with many other characters there's not many other characters that would do that that are um you know intended for a young audience i mean that was made movie made for all ages but especially for young people so um Mm -hmm. valuable life lessons yeah i like how much of that movie he just spends irritated oh yeah like he, he, when he gets wronged by Belloc, he's just irritated. Snakes, mm-hmm. irritating. Yep. Horny teenagers in his class, irritating. And the eyes. What is the eyes? I don't know what that was. Yeah. Um, but then, oddly, he didn't get irritated with Shia LaBeouf. Like, that's, like that should have been the most mm-hmm. irritating thing. Yeah. Oh, there I did it again, didn't I? Damn. What? Sorry. I keep going negative on these. I, I don't want to be negative on everything. Well, I think Shia LaBeouf has, we can be negative on him based on new news that has come to light about his relationships. So, um. You know, I, the, I, I, my son, Ben, uh, who I've mentioned a few times, I took him on many, many movie sets. He was, when he was a little guy, um, took him to Australia on the set of Superman, took him to London on the set of Potter, Avengers, like all these movies. And I took him on Transformers. Um two and three no two transformers two and um it was early in the day 
we were having breakfast at craft services and it was pretty empty. Uh, there was only actually two other tables that even had anybody at it. Um, and uh, we were just talking, I was telling him about what to expect and stuff like that. And he was maybe seven or eight. I'm not sure what year that movie came out. Um, and uh, Shai was staying at the next table talking to some stunt guys and just dropping F-bombs like at the top of his lungs and like, uh, and this is in the morning? Yeah, this is like 9, 15 in the morning, like, and I'm having coffee and I got him a pastry and I'm just saying, okay, so, you know, movie set, the reminder, here's the things we can, can't do, things we should, trying to like, you know, like do the, give him the field etiquette. Trip. Yeah, etiquette. And then- and, Manners. And the, the, you know, Shy is at the next table just telling us like some uh, anecdote and the guys he's telling it to keep looking over at us like, kind of like, uh, like with a mix of like empathy and like, uh, you know, wincing a little bit, like they, they sense that this is, this is too loud and too much. And it's a guy that, you know, as a child star, like he's not, he doesn't think about the world being tilted toward kids because his world wasn't like, I mean, he mm -hmm. was, you know, like, I don't think he, he thought you spare kids for me. It, it just didn't occur to him or he just was caught up in the moment, but it was such an uncomfortable thing. And I remember looking at my son, he's got this, this fruit juice box he's like and and you know they're like motherfucker and he's like wincing and like he's looking at me because he's wincing because i'm so uncomfortable and um it was it was i i just never thought highly of shy after that for some reason and it's uh, unfair it was an unfair thing to hold against him the a couple of years later uh i took my son ben with me to an interview because um I wanted to spend a day with him, but I had to do a breakfast interview on a Saturday. I said, look, if you go with me to this interview, we can go out and have fun up in LA. Uh, and it was with Matthew Modine. And uh, we sit down and I was interviewing Matthew Modine. And he was telling me, I was asking about Stanley Kubrick and Full Metal Jacket. My son's there eating his eggs. And, and Modine's telling the story and, and using really ripe language because of the, the, the film he was talking about and everything. And he suddenly <gasps> looked stricken because he realized he kind of forgot my son was there. Like, and, and he's like, oh, and he, he pauses and he puts, leans over a little, pats my son on the, on the forearm and says, I'm really sorry, guy, little buddy, I'm sorry. And my son looks up and he goes, and mouth full, chewing, hmm, it's okay. I've seen Die Hard. It's okay. I've seen Die Hard, <laughs> which is the first rated R movie I showed him. And like, he learned a lot of words. But I, that was like one of my favorite things ever. I was like, it's okay. I've seen Die Hard. Like, <laughs> like you know, like, continue. Uh, so that's my two profanity stories involving myself. I just wanted to share random anecdotes. Yeah, another thing great about kind of arch taciturn people, it's like th their sense of gruffness is kind of more like at fellow adults. I don't think it's it's towards kids, like people who are just, you know. That's right. Reckless, right. They're, they're reserved, but they're not and cantankerous, but they're not statistic <laughs> like aggressive and you know yeah they would never subject kids to that so i, I respect you, that if you think about when you see uh, grumps in a movie uh, depicted in a movie or even as you say like in real life when they interact with a kid they soften or mm -hmm. they 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 kind of like just kind of muzzle themselves a little bit but if they don't if they continue then that's the point where you don't like them like that's that's actually the the, the mm -hmm. litmus for uh, you know how we feel about people and and uh, um, yeah it's yeah true. same with animals 
I like I can deal with a neighborhood crotchety person who yells at me for where I'm walking or whatever but if they start like pointing their finger at my dog yeah or yelling at him for you know what I didn't pick up even though I always pick up things it's just like it's like what are you anyway I think moral of this interview dogs are great monkey brains monkey brains are are cool yeah Wookiees probably Wookiees maybe below Super. dogs on the tier list. Yeah. Then maybe then kids, then adults. Yeah. Then then Ewoks. Right, right. At the and very Shia. bottom. <laughs> and Shia. Don't forget Shia. Um the the funniest I have one last Shia moment joke that's funny. Uh uh when I did that Raiders of Lost Ark screening, um, there was a moment before Harrison comes out where I, I uh, was talking to Stephen about the sequel. Uh, and I said, you know, there's even talk that there may be another movie. And now that talk is ramping up. And, um, and Stephen goes, yeah, you know, we're still looking at it. We think uh, we're gonna uh, probably do one more movie. He said something like that. And in the back of the crowd, you hear, woo, like one person went, and like the rest of the audience was pretty quiet. So it was already kind of funny. And I go, wow, one guy. And, and I'm pretty sure that was Shia. Uh, and it was, it was the best laugh. I got the best laugh out of that audience. Um, and Stephen, he was, he was really funny, but he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> good for him for being a good sport. <laughs> he was a very good sport. And he did a George Lucas impression. If you guys could find that video online uh, from that, Q and A for the Razor Lost Dark screening. Um, he 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 does an impression of George Lucas calling him. Mm, uh, Hi, Stephen. It's George. How are you? Just like that. And I was like, Wow. I would love to have affectionate, a affectionate parent. Very affectionate. He's like, that's my yeah. best friend in the world. He goes, that's my best Aww. friend. Yeah. He's like, I, I appreciate sure the term he used. He's my very good friend and my best friend. I think. But he said that they talk often on the phone, long conversations. I'm like, wow, that's really hard for me to imagine. What's that like? Can you walk me through that? And he goes, oh, it sounds like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, it's George. Uh, <laughs> like, he, like he was talking to a Muppet. <laughs> um, and uh, it was very, very endearing. It, it made both, it, you know, I, I, I feel very fondly for, for Steven Spielberg because he's uh, in person. I've just encountered him so many times and he's always just a lovely, lovely, generous, thoughtful person. I, just really impressed with him, you know, for what that matters. Nobody cares what I think, but mm-hmm. I think he's awesome. So, yeah. Well, hopefully, listeners can look at your retrospectives and the behind the scenes of these people and uh, your knowledge of, of Indiana, the iconic dog. And then when we, and combining that with our Chris Stropolis interview, we'll see Raiders in a very new light and possibly go out and purchase a fedora of your own. Get your hat on. That's it. Everybody get your hat on. 